Okay, so last week we already got to uh, mention this and celebrate it. We celebrated seven baptisms. Oh, wait, don't put it up yet, okay? <laughs> uh, Lydia, you're so great to do this every week for us. Um, so that is amazing. Like, we had seven brave kids who declared their faith in the Lord last week, who said we desire to follow Jesus with our lives. Um, It was amazing. I just went away last week just so filled up and kept thinking about all of you kiddos who who stood up here and declared your faith. Um, It it was so amazing. It was such... um, such an encouragement to my own faith. And so it made me start to think about my baptism, right? I think probably most of us, you know, when you see baptisms, hopefully we kind of remember our own baptism. Um, so uh, you can go ahead and put the picture up. So I found my picture of when I was baptized. Um, go to the next slide. There you go. There's little Nicole. Um, so I want to tell you about my baptism. So I was 13, and it was Easter Sunday. Um, I wore this brown and white polka dot jumpsuit that honestly, 25 years later, like I would really like to wear it again. You know, I think it's like come back around. I think it would look really cute now. Um, and, um, I guess I have a thing for simple churches because we also, our church did not have a baptismal, so we used a church member's pool. And um, I had, it was at a church member, their house, it was um, Floyd and Judy Swinger. And they were this old couple in the church who had, Floyd had like this super scruffy voice. He gave the best hugs. Um, And Judy was always just like really proper and had on lipstick and just always was smiling. And their pool, like throughout the years of the church was like the baptismal, you know, (laughs) like that's where everybody got baptized was in um, Floyd and Judy's pool. And um, my grandparents came. um, So and then there were a few others from the, you know, or or quite a few others from the church that were there. But um, my grandparents are the ones from my family that came and um, got to witness that. Uh, another friend of mine was baptized at the same time. I remember my pastor. So that's Pastor Jules. If you've heard me talk about my uh, neighbor growing up, the pastor, that's him. Um, that's Pastor Jules. And he's the one who baptized me. And then my youth pastor, Mike, he's the one who said, um, kind of read a verse over me. He read Romans 10, 9 over me. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that was one of the first verses that I put to memory um, that was stayed on my mirror in my room until I went away to college. This was like a super impactful day for me. It was so impactful for me. Um, I remember when I look at this picture, as silly as it is, like, you know, this is like, you know, before we had cameras where we could take 100 pictures and get a really good one, you know, this is what I got. (laughs) Um, But I still look at that picture and I think, man, I was so happy. Like, I was so happy and I felt so loved. And that was a really powerful moment for me. And so I treasure that memory for that reason. And I share that today because I think one of our great struggles um, personally for me and then also just as the people of God is that we are a forgetful people, right? Like that is one of our, um, that is one of our downfalls is we are such a forgetful people. And so sometimes for me, I need to remember things like this, you know, like I need to go back to these moments in my faith. 
So um, you can take it off so we don't have to keep staring at it. But uh, thanks, Lydia. So, you know, we're a fairly small bunch in here. And so let's kind of enter into just some family conversation time. You know, if you were to come over to my house for dinner and we would sit around the table, you could um, pretty much guarantee that I'm going to ask you, have a couple of key um, intentional questions that I'm going to bring to you. And so right now, what I want us to do before we get into the scripture is kind of set our foundation by looking back. So with that in mind, I want you to think back to a pivotal moment in your faith. Um, maybe it was when you understood your need for Jesus, and uh, or it was it, maybe it was your baptism. Maybe it was the first time you took communion. Um, but I want you to think about that. What comes to your mind right now? And so, what is a memory or an emotion or maybe a detail from that um, that you want to share with us? Like, let's hear it. There, we, it. there is so much delight in hearing that from one another. So um, let's just kind of hear from a few people. Just shout, you know, explain that, that emotion or that detail that comes to mind when you kind of look back on your uh, faith history. Uh, I remember being about 14 or something around there and having not gone to church really at all much as a kid. And then sitting in a youth group that I've gone to with people, and they were talking about grace. It's like, and suddenly it's like, oh, that's what that is. Yeah. Grace is like God is, it's free forgiveness. It's just there and washes away your sin. It's not just a prairie, some people say, before a meal. And that's like the core of all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And that was a light coming on moment for me, though. I love that. I love that. I remember it kind of. Kind of similar. I was like 13 and I was at a Disciple Now conference. Um, D Now? Is that what Yeah, it's D Now. I didn't know how many people here. <laughs> Disciple Now culture. Um, and uh, I remember, I don't exactly remember what was taught, but I remember that really for the first time I really kind of had an understanding of the fact that I was a sinner. Like, I feel like I understood that, like, in principle, but something about it became very real to me at that time, and that I needed to be saved. Like, all that. Like, I needed somebody to pay for my sin and to redeem me. And so, I think that the gospel, I don't necessarily mark that as, like, that's why I'm a Christian, because I've been walking the world before that. But I think that's when grace, you know, like, the gospel really became much more real and tangible to me. Someone else, what, what detail? Okay, let's do this. Yeah. Apparently, that's a time for a lot of people. <laughs> uh, I went to camp that I did not want to go to. I first Catholic, so I went to camp, and I remember sitting in the like evening service, being like, I don't fully understand what they're saying in this moment. It was stirring inside of me that was like, but I know I need this, and I know I need to know more. Mm-hmm. And that was really the big shift that, that from that point forward, it was kind of like diving into scripture and like, really looking to understand and yeah and that was like the pivotal moment for me where I was like yeah. okay but nothing else you know, yeah. that's enough yeah that's all I can say like I understood my needs I love that I love that it happened at camp it's good I can go with the camp okay yeah let's keep that now yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, I was saved at a middle school camp, too, but then whenever I was in college, I went back when I was a Pinecoat counselor, but I had a leader counselor that had a real, like, 
literally like come to Jesus meeting with me and she was like she just told me that she saw so much entitlement and I was I totally I'd grown up very apparent you know and with all of the accomplishments and everything and she just said Ashley you don't get it she was like your next breath of air your next bite of food like everything you have the fact that you're at this camp everything is a gift from a good gracious father like compared to him, like you are like so tiny. Like, we're like this little ant. And like he has every right for you to not even live. Like, like everything you have to give. And it was such a mindset shift for me because before I was like, well, yeah, of course Jesus loves me. Like, you know, and it was like, whoa. Whoa. <laughs> like, and um, it really was like the first time I deeply understood my sin. And, felt like overwhelming need for God. Um, and I remember there was a song that they would play a lot at that camp and I felt it at that time. And it was like ruin my life, the plans that I made. Ruin desires for my own selfish gain. Destroy the idols that have taken your place. Till it's you alone I live for. You alone I live and it was just like that simple melody that like stayed with me. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not, I could sing it like that, but there's, there's a song that I want to share. <laughs> I love that. I love there's a song that's connected to it. I, I have songs from my childhood that I've asked Matt to play, and he will play them. So. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> anybody else have a, a memory or detail that they're wanting to share? I mean, I had a season as a young mom where, like, a lot of really hard stuff happened and then some scary stuff happened. And um, I just remember, like this realization that like even when it feels like the bottom has fallen out that I was held and like it it was all gonna be okay even though there were times but like I didn't see how it was gonna be okay. But that that sense of like being loved and held is just like something that I'll always go back to. So powerful. Yeah. I, I feel like I could just take the next hour and let you guys like just keep sharing. Like these, these are just um, I love this, like these like sacred moments of hearing one another's stories are really powerful. So I, so that's good. We've set a really good foundation. So I wanted to start with those memories in our minds, whether you shared and you have one in your mind or you're listening to someone else's, um, as we look at our text today. So we're in Exodus and we're picking up at the end of chapter 15. And the big problem right now is that the people are grumbling they're grumbling a lot, and they're grumbling because they've forgotten. They have forgotten who they are, they've forgotten who God is, and they've forgotten what God has done. And when you forget those things, who God is, who you are, and what he's done, how do we practice trust? Like, how do we even trust, right? What do we trust? So before we get into the passage this week, like let's look back and remember what has already happened in Exodus. We know that God called Moses to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. He delivered them from the tyranny of Pharaoh. He protected them from the plagues. He protected them from death. He displayed power and grace and mercy and justice. He parted the sea and he led them to freedom. That's everything that's happened that we've already seen, right? And so... 
then we saw uh, last week or two weeks ago in, at Easter, we looked at chapter 15 where they worship God. They respond to, um, you know, their freedom with worship. They praise him. And we look back on that chapter where we see things like them praising God. You are highly exalted. You are our strength, our salvation. You're a warrior. You are majestic in power. You're majestic in holiness. You're awesome in glory. You're unfilling love. You reign forever. Like that is how, like that was the, their beginning heart posture when they were led into freedom. But just a few verses later, their tone changes. So let's look at this, okay? Um, we're going to turn to Exodus 15 and see how quickly their hearts change. Um, okay, well, so we see here that when God sets the Israelites free, it wasn't so that they could then serve themselves. Um, it was that they would serve him, right? He set them free because he loved them. Um, but they forgot this. God leads them out of Egypt, but they refuse to trust. They struggle to trust. So what we're going to see in these next few chapters is that God humbles them and he tests them. So we've got three stories that we're going to look at today. It's a lot of scripture, um, a lot of really good scripture. But so go back and reread it again on your own this week. Um, we've got three stories with Moses and the Israelites. They are now in the wilderness. So they're out of Egypt, but they're now in the wilderness. And there's these three different stories of complaints where they say, we have no water to Moses. They tell Moses now we don't have any food. And then again, later they complain about how they don't have water again. So there's repetition in these three stories. Each story they grumble. Each story uses the word test. And then each story shows us that God does provide for them. So let's start by looking at test one. And we're going to look at starting in verse uh, 22. Chapter 15, verse 22. Okay, so read with me. We'll start, we'll go to chapter, or to verse 26. Um, okay, so Moses leads them out. For three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. And when they came to Merah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. And that is why the place is called Merah. Sometimes I just love like, the Bible for that. You know, okay. Uh, uh, so the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? And then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So they go three days with no water. I mean, you can imagine that that does not feel good. Like, that's actually deadly, right? We know that, like, we really can't go more than three days. So, um, you know, it's, I think it's reasonable to have empathy for them right now. Um, if, like, we don't blame them for this. Um, so as we read this, though, we can relate to it, but we need to be careful that we're not meant to follow their example either. So they find water, but it's not drinkable. You know, Scripture says it's, uh, it's bitter. So they take their grumbling to Moses, and Moses seeks God on their behalf. And the Lord instructs Moses to, take, uh, to throw a piece of wood, and um, some, some translations say it was a tree, like, which I really love that image. Like, I just imagine like, Moses like, tossing this tree into the waters. Um, but in that act, the water becomes drinkable. So after he provides the water, then comes the test. 
And the test here that we read is to listen. And if you listen, God says, I'm not going to bring on the diseases that are brought to the Egyptians. So he's asking them, are you going to trust me? Or are you going to grumble and rebel? And the order in which this happens is so important to, to notice. God saved Israel because of God's faithfulness, right? So in this passage, what he does is he leads with generosity and he leads with grace. That's part of God's character. But now, in response to that redemption, in response to that salvation, the question to them is, will you listen now? Will you listen to the voice of your God? He's telling them that obedience does not earn your salvation, but it is a response to salvation. And I love that. I think that's such an important thing to notice in this passage is he provides for them first. He doesn't first expect them to earn the water. Um, So that's their first test. So now let's look at test two. Um, Starting in verse, let's see where we start. Verse two, I think, is where it comes. So this test... And this grumbling, this comes a month later after the water and the tree. So look at starting in verse 2. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat. Again, like, (laughs) I love that phrase, pots of meat. Um, And ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So once again, the people are complaining to Moses, and this time it's about food. And again, the complaint is probably fairly understandable. Their supply, they're a month in, their supply has likely run out, um, and they are in a desert wilderness. So, um, they, but they make some pretty dramatic statements, right? You know, they're saying, like, if only we had died in Egypt, and we sat around these pots of meat and eating what we wanted, and you've brought us to the desert to starve to death. Okay, um, my three children right here uh, know that I am very familiar with food complaints and how um, I am very familiar with dramatic grumblings of, are we ever going to eat? Um, I'm going to starve to death. I, so I really feel for Moses in this moment. Um, they're believing in this moment that they had fullness as slaves. You know, that they had it right when they were slaves and that now they have a famine with God. Like that is what they are believing right now. But again, here what God does, he reacts with mercy and kindness. And he says that he's going to rain down bread from heaven for them. Like that's insane, right? Like that's what he's willing to do for them. And like this crazy experience, he provides something called manna for them. Don't you wish you could taste and see it today? This is one thing in the Bible that I've always just like really wanted to experience and understand. Scripture says this manna is like white and it's wafer-like and it tastes like honey. Um, And God gave them enough for the day and they were told not to hoard it. 
that each person was to gather just what they needed for that day. And the wild thing is with manna is that whether they grabbed too much or they grabbed too little, it all shook out in the end. Like they got exactly what they needed. It was this really supernatural provision. What we see is that by meeting a very ordinary need, they just needed food. It's an ordinary need that we all have. By meeting that very ordinary need in an extraordinary way, the people got to see the glory of the Lord. So this time, the bread is the test. Can they obey these instructions? They were told not to leave extra manna uh, until the next morning. And if you read, you know, sit in this passage later this week and get all the extra details. They, you saw that um, for those that did, the next day there was like worms and maggots and it smelled really gross. That's the result of not obeying the Lord in this command. And just as important in this passage, God instructs them about Sabbath. So read in starting in verse 23. We're going to read a little bit as God teaches about Sabbath. He said to them, uh, Moses, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. So he gives enough for the Sabbath. He's teaching them here in this moment that he was their provider every day. And on the sixth day, they're to collect enough for a Sabbath rest. And there is so much important wisdom here in this passage right now about Sabbath rest. So I want to pause here for a moment. And, you know, I teach the Bible fairly frequently. And sometimes I just sit with a passage. Sometimes I'm given a, a passage to teach, and I think, okay, Lord, I get it. I get it. Thank you for putting me in this passage. Um, that this passage is all for me this week. This passage emptied me out this week, and I just want to confess that to you guys as one of your teachers and as one of your leaders of the church, that I have not been trusting God with Sabbath rest recently. Um, and it's something that is deeply important to me, that it has formed and shaped me um, in profound ways over the last several years. But I have to confess that I personally have struggled a lot with restlessness the past couple of months. I have struggled a lot with trusting the Lord the past few months. I have tried to be self-reliant, and I have believed that I have a false sense of control over things that I don't actually have control over. And I just want to humbly confess that to all of you. Just as one of your leaders, it is not wise or of integrity for me to stand up here and teach this passage without confessing that to you guys. Um, and I also feel such gratitude for this passage, for this lesson, and for this reminder, for God's instructions, for his kindness. This is a powerful passage that I want us to take, um, to walk away being challenged um, by this passage right now. God wants them to rest. He wants us to rest. 
even in the wilderness. God wants them to trust that even when you stop working, God's got this. He's going to provide, but he wants them to follow his instructions. And what's interesting to note is that they haven't even received the Ten Commandments yet. We know that the fourth commandment of, uh, of the Ten Commandments is to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. And they haven't even been given that yet. So this Sabbath rest that they're talking about, that God is talking about, this is the Sabbath rest that goes all the way back to creation. It is part of the original intent of how to be human. Uh, here, the Sabbath is simply a gift from the Lord. It's a gift that God has given to his people, something that they did not experience as slaves in Egypt. They worked really hard seven days a week. They did not experience rest, and here God is giving them that rest. But the Israelites had a hard time believing that God would provide for them, and that sounds just like us today. But a Sabbath rest was meant to distinguish Israel from Egypt. That, like That's literally what it was in this passage, but that's also true for us today. That's a really powerful witness to the world when we can stop and rest and trust. It's to be a sign of God's provision, his goodness, his faithfulness, his faithfulness to us and our faith in him. And it's to point us also to a future rest that we will have. So sit with that this week. I really do want to challenge us to kind of just entertain that conversation um, with each other and, and just seek the Lord on what that might look like for us. That's a really important thing that I want us to pursue. Um, and then one other thing that happens in this second story, the second test, is that Moses is told to save a bit of the manna and that eventually this would be, we find out later, this is going to be placed in the Ark of the Covenant. But... This was so that it would serve as a way of reminding the people about God's salvation and his provision. Just as we reflected in the beginning, it matters that we remember the goodness of God so that our faith may be sustained, even in times of wilderness. So now we have the third test um, that they experience, and it's in chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. So let's look at that together. Um, What's interesting about this test is that Scripture says it's the Israelites that test the Lord this time. So let's look starting at verse 2. So they quarreled with Moses, and they said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? So once again, they're complaining. They've got their food supply covered, right? But they're once again in need of water. And it sounds like this time, it kind of sounds like they've come to pick a fight, right? Um, it, like they're, they're not actually asking for help. They're demanding, give us water. It's like a child, uh, I don't know if you've ever, like, just hypothetically speaking, had an experience where your child might say, give me chocolate milk, you know? And if that were to ever happen, you might look at your child and say, try again, you know? And then there's a change of, 
can I please have some chocolate milk? You know, it's not that you don't want to give, it's just what is the posture of the heart, you know? Um, so that's their problem right here. What they're doing here is that they're testing God's patience. They're testing his kindness. They're testing um, who he has proven himself to be. He has proven himself to be a generous God, that he leads with generosity. He doesn't expect them to earn it first. He has rescued them. He has given them water before. He has given them food every day now. Like they've got that taken care of. And he's even given them rest. So why do they demand? What would their response be to this very real problem? They do need water. But what would their response be if they remembered who the Lord is? So those are the three stories of the people, the Israelites and their entrance into the wilderness and their three stories of grumbling and testing and seeing the Lord provide. And they happen in the wilderness, which is a theme that we see both in the Old Testament with the Israelites and the New Testament with Jesus. And so the wilderness, what do we know of the wilderness? We know that the wilderness is a barren place, right? It is without resource. It cannot sustain life. Sometimes the wilderness um, that we find ourselves in, it's our place of suffering or loss. Sometimes it's out of obedience to Jesus that we find ourselves in the wilderness. Sometimes it's a place of discipline that we find ourselves in. But none of us want to be in the wilderness, right? It's hard, and the temptation to grumble and complain is real. And I want to be careful here because um, there is a difference between grumbling, which cultivates an ugly and ungrateful heart, and being honest with the Lord with your real concerns. You know, I've heard it said before that like, um, when you worry, you do not believe in God. And I'm not convinced that that's entirely true. Um, that feels like a slippery slope. Um, maybe, sometimes, yeah, that might be what's going on. But I think our greater issue with worry um, is what do we do with that, right? Where do we take that worry? Do we only grumble and complain to others? Or do we also lament to the Lord? Absolutely, talk it out with others. But they are not your God. Our emotions, and I think what's important here is that to remember our emotions are safe with the Lord. He can handle all of our emotions. But for us to feel safe with our emotions, with anybody, well, that requires trust, right? And that's at the root of all of these stories. In the first time of grumbling, they're told to listen to the Lord. And then the second time of grumbling, they're told to follow instructions and obey the Lord. And then their third time of grumbling, they're really what they need to do is remember the Lord. So all of these tests are tests of trust. But out of the testing comes knowing. Comes knowing the Lord. So consider this. How many times has the Lord in his mercy and in his grace provided for you? And how many times do we forget? How often has the Lord asked for obedience only for us to resist? Or when have you taken for granted the gifts that God has given you 
when you have begun to believe that you are owed what you want. The thing is, is that we are so similar to the Israelites. We are so forgetful. We forget how God has cared for us over and over, daily meeting our needs, daily expressing his love. We forget that God is merciful and patient, and he is always faithful, even when we are faithless. He is always trustworthy, whether or not we choose to remember that. Trusting God is not about knowing all of the details. It's not about knowing that when you get to the next campsite, there's going to be water there. Um, It's not based on what we know, but who we know. And it's about knowing the character of God, knowing that we are loved by God. We have to remember who God is. We have to remember what he has done for us, what he has led us through. We especially have to remember that stuff when we are actually in the wilderness. And that's why it matters to look back and to remember his mercy and to remember his grace that he's extended to us. We have to remember his character. We can be faithful in our circumstances because of who God is. And when we are not faithful, he still is. But the truth is is that we can trust God. We can trust him because we are loved by him. And I would say that every single day, that is the thing that I have to say every single day. I can trust you, Lord, because I know that I am loved by you. I can trust him because I am loved by him. And we can trust him because he is with us in the wilderness. God has revealed himself to us in our own wilderness in Jesus. Jesus, who is far better than manna or water. Jesus, who declared that if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Or Jesus, who declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never grow hungry. Jesus is the greater manna. He is a far superior sustainer of us. Through Jesus, we have been given the bread of life that sustains us in our own wilderness. Jesus has even been called our rock, the true and better rock, who was struck in order to give us life. So when we look at their examples in Exodus, we look, what we need to do is learn to feast on Christ because he is enough. In the wilderness... If we don't run back to Egypt, if we don't run back to our comforts, if we don't choose to numb or resist the wilderness, we will learn that Christ sustains us. The Israelites were given water and manna, but we have been given a far superior revelation. Jesus is better. So what stories in here resonate with you? What about, what about the Israelites do you connect with? What unbelief or doubt or grumbling is in your heart? Would you be brave enough to bring that to the surface? What unrepentant sin is in your heart? Would you be ready to repent if the Lord is asking you to? 
Would you ready, be ready to be honest about your thoughts, your questions, your doubts, your insecurities? Because he wants all of that to come out. I believe that God can handle all of that. When we ask the questions like, is he with us? Is he really here? Is he going to provide? When we ask those questions, go back to the character of God. Our questions can be a refining time if we are willing to wrestle well and take those questions to the Lord. So the test that the Israelites face, the test of trust that you and I face, look to Christ for his victory. So one way that we get to remember as the people of God, that we get to remember who God is and what God has done is through communion. Um, and so we get to take communion right now. So I'm going to grab a piece of communion. Join me. The, the darker is wine, the lighter is juice. So as we hold this bread, I know that there's kiddos in here that are taking communion for the second time. So let me, let me help you out. Let's talk about this again. Remember, the bread represents Christ's body that was broken for us. It represents his sacrificial love. So as we think about that, his sacrificial love, would you remember how loved you are? Would you remember that because of Christ's victory, you are never alone? Would you remember that you have a far better provider and sustainer in Christ? This bread and this wine, they are a tangible reminder of God's great, unending, always and forever, perfect love for you. So you take the bread and you take the juice, you take the wine that represents Christ's blood that was shed for your sin. You take and you remember. And we look to Christ in remembrance. Take and eat. here today when I think about each of us in here my sincere prayer is that you would each know and believe how deeply loved you are by God and that you would know and believe and remember that you can trust him because you are deeply loved by him so let's pray Lord, I just thank you for your scriptures. I thank you for the examples that you've given us all throughout these pages of your great love for us. Father, I pray that you would help us to remember your love for us. Remember your character. Remember who you are, that you are faithful, that you are good, that you are unfailing, that you love us so deeply, more than we could ever imagine. Help us to remember that. And it's in your name we pray.